Man, I love that psalm, but I even love God's love more. That's, that's awesome. Well, you might have noticed these balloons over here. We are into celebrating God's goodness, but uh, each of these balloons represent one child who came forward this past week at our VBS, responded to the call of uh, Jesus, and um, we're continuing to follow up and pray with them. So there's 44 balloons. You couldn't count them all. Could you please pray for that? Yeah. So please continue to pray for each one of these uh, children and uh, all those who are following up and trying to make disciples. And I want to say on behalf of the church, thank you all who, who helped out with our VBS program. We had over 100, 100 staff that helped out. And thank you very much on behalf of the church, on behalf of my four children who got to participate. We just thank you. It was a, just a tremendous week. Yeah. Work's not done yet, is it, though? Um, this, uh, this past week, we were coming home from VBS, our family, and we were coming home to lunch, and, and um, I noticed my daughter, Jessie, and Josiah were having a conversation. I was sitting in the room, and it was almost like I wasn't there, and, and I heard Jessie say, and she grabbed this box, and it was Josiah's treasure box that he made as a craft in VBS, and said, you know, Josiah, um, I want you to be part of my club. And uh, I want you to be my best friend, and I, I want you to be part of my club. And um, I, uh, I, I think this should be our treasure box, and we should, we should put all of our secrets for our club in this treasure box. And um, immediately as a father, as I'm kind of just a, a spectator here, just watching what's going to happen next, just I kind of shrugs the shoulders like, okay, Jesse, we can be your best friends, but you can't have my treasure box. And isn't that how it usually is, right? We, we attempt to, to love others, and we, we welcome their love, especially to us, but we're not going to be willing to give it all up, are we? We're not going to give up our treasure box. That's what I want us to talk about today as we open up God's Word. I know in my life that I'm not willing to give up all of my treasure boxes, I... I know that I hold back sometimes with my agenda and my goals and my desires. And this is really what God wants us to press down on and, and change in our lives. A few weeks ago, I started a series called Increasing Your Profitability. And on that Sunday in June, we, uh, we learned in that first week why the bubble burst. All of us are blowing bubbles. We're making attempts to to get ahead and profit for ourselves. Often we tend to profit ourselves by using our gifts and our abilities and our experiences. Or we might use our knowledge. We might even sacrifice and try to get ahead through personal cost. However, the Bible makes it pretty clear that work alone, effort, work alone doesn't profit. Love does. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. And this passage is often read at weddings, and it sounds really nice. In fact, it's an amazing, amazing piece of literature if you, uh, you really reflect on it. 
But in 1 Corinthians 13, and I'll start in verse uh, 31 of the following chapter 12, or chapter 12. And now I will show you the most excellent way, it says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. We see that work alone doesn't profit. You can do all these things. Only love profits. Only love does. But what is love? What is love? We struggle to define it. It can be confused with with like. I could have said last night, I love ice cream with bananas on the side and cherry fudge on top and peanuts. I love that. What I really mean is I, I like. I like those kind of Sundays. Sometimes we, the, we get confused with love by translating it into really, really we mean by lust. You hear maybe a girl say, I love him so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry. So, he's so hot. I heard Lori say that this week to me, but... Uh... Maybe it's the guy, I love her so much, I just can't stop thinking about her. She's amazing. You get those confused. Sometimes we actually confuse the word love for actually what we mean by attachment. We saw this a lot this week. I love Michael Jackson. I love Michael Jackson's music. Brings me back to when I was a child of the 80s. All this nostalgia and all this outpouring for Michael Jackson. Over a billion people watched his memorial service. Getting that confused, I think, with attachment. Some have even tried to explain love through biochemistry. Look at this picture right here. You got your attachment, you got your oxytocin, your vasopressin, pheromones. The left side is the testosterone, estrogen. You find this from Wikipedia, by the way. So guess what? All you got to do is get the right chemicals and hormones in place, and you got love down. Is that how it works? Love potion number nine? I don't think so. Instead, you've probably discovered, and I've discovered, that lasting love is unconditional. There's no strings attached. It's also uncomfortable. You ever thought of it that way? It's uncomfortable? There's often pain involved. It's unselfish. It's focused on the benefit of the other person, not yourselves. That's how the Apostle Paul himself defined what love is. and He actually defines what love is and what is not love. Let's continue on in reading in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. 
as I unpack this a little further, I want you to test yourself, okay? Test yourself. Examine your hearts, examine your own lives, see where you're at. We see here in these, these, these verses that, that love's really about action. This is why all of these are, are not just adjectives, they're actually verbs in the original. And so this list, as someone has said, does not focus on what love is as much as on what love does. So check this out. You'll see here that there's kind of two sides to love. There's the constructive side to love, and there's the destructive side to love. Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. I don't know about those guys in the softball, but it's not proud. (laughs) It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Let's look at these and understand them a little bit further. First of all, love is patient. Verse 4. The idea here in that word, what the word really means is, it takes a long time before fuming and breaking out into fumes and and flames and being ready to to be ready to be hot and, and, and go after somebody. It takes a long time for that. It's a long holding out of the mind before it gives room to action or passion, and generally to passion. The Corinthians, and you need to understand that this letter that Paul is writing is to address certain questions and issues in their church. And uh, it seems that the Corinthians hadn't got patience down on their lives. You see that a number of times. In chapter 5, they're, they're suing one another. They're not patient with one another. They're ready to sue one another. They're also, in chapter uh, 6, they're committing acts of sexual immorality. They weren't patiently waiting for what God had put in, into their lives and living pure lives and, and trying to, to wait just for marriage. The bounds of, of marriage where it's the only place where sexuality should be. They were even impatient when they, they celebrated the Lord's Supper is what we're going to do tonight. They'd go do it on their homes and, and they, were, they were not concerned about one another. They weren't patient. We see here that instead love is patient. It's a passive side of love. It's like, I am not going to get hot. I'm not going to burst into flames. I'm going to control it. The other side is love is kind. This is actually the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And the word has its roots in the concept of usefulness and that, that kindness being demonstrated to others. In fact, by the second century, Christians were not called Christani, which is the word for little Christ, Christians. They were actually called Christani. Uh, made up of mildness and kindness. Can you imagine that? If everyone in this room who professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ, when you walk down the road, people say, mild, kind. I want what he or she Kindness. Love is kind. 
That's the active side. That's taking that, that uncontrolled passions and using it in a profitable way. Those are two constructive sides of love. Then we see the kind of the destructive, the negative sides. Now, love is not jealous. Uh, the way the world defines love is it can result in destructive ends. They think love should be jealous. Well, love doesn't desire what it doesn't have or can't have. This explains why God can be both loving and jealous at the same time. Since God lo- owns and, and loves everything, he can be jealous of when people take what rightfully belongs to him. In contrast, the Corinthians were jealous of, of one preacher following one preacher over another. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, where it says, I follow Paul, and I follow Paulus, I follow this teacher, I follow that teacher. They were jealous. Paul's like, no, 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 love is not jealous. Instead, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, just kind of at the, the top of this passage, covering over everything, and now I'll show you the most excellent way. Verse 31, and just before that he says, but eagerly desire the greatest, the greater gifts. That word eagerly desire is the same word for jealousy. You're supposed to eagerly desire what's the greatest, the greatest gift. We find that deeply embedded in this chapter, in chapter 13, which is love. Love is not jealous. Love does not boast. Another way love can be destructive is that it boasts. Love really is not a windbag, if we could put it that way. And this, this word for boasting is used only in 1 Corinthians. Used in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, and verse 18, and verse 19 of chapter 4. It's also used in chapter 5, verse 2. And then also in chapter 8, verse 1. Why don't you take a look at that? This is a good verse just to have deeply embedded into your heart and mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. The second sentence says this. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. As uh, John MacArthur says, jealousy puts others down, doesn't it? Bragging builds us up. That's often what we do. We put others down and then we try to build ourselves up. That's why jealousy and boasting kind of usually go hand in hand. I always think of this picture right here. I don't know if what, you know what this is. It's a ruffed grouse. It's one of Pastor Calvin's favorite birds. Except he, he likes it between, beside the potatoes and the vegetables. <laughs> Love does not boast. The ruffed grouse, this is the male. What he usually does in the springtime is he gets on a log and he puffs himself up. And he beats on his chest. He tries to call the, the nice rough grouse ladies. And uh, says, look at me, look how great I am, come! Love does not boast. Love does not get all puffed up. Love is not proud. It's like Paul continues on and says, I, I gotta show you even more. It's not just that it doesn't boast, it's not proud at all. It's not, it's not falsely humble. It's not, um, 
It's not in any way selfish. It's not proud. As MacArthur continues to say, he says, arrogance is, is big-headed. Love is big-hearted. You know those type? Those type where you're like, man, they always have to put forth their credentials and put forth who they are, their position, their status, their, their degrees. Love isn't like that. It's not proud. It's also not rude. The Corinthians were, as I said, were, were rude. They were eating the Lord's Supper in such a way as that they were acting unbecomingly. Love is tactful and does not cause anybody to raise an eyebrow. Love is much more than being gracious and considered, but it's never less, as one commentator says. And the word for rude is this one same used in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 36, where it talks about a man who has essentially not properly treated his fiancée. He's putting her off. He's like, we're not going to get married. We'll continue to just be in love, but we'll never get married. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you, maybe that'll be the push for you to finally get married. I don't know. But maybe your issue is not holding somebody back. But it's um, not, commuting, not meeting your commitments and your appointments. Are you careful with your words? Be careful what you say and how you say it. My mother's here today, and I remember her always teaching us as, as children, if we were going to invite somebody over to our house, that we were not to just say to our other friends, hey, guess we're inviting this person over to our house. Because we were taught that that would make the other family or those other friends feel bad. And that's just an example of love is not rude. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's, it's considering other people. So we need to do that. We need to, it goes right down into how we hold the door for one another, how we greet one another. It affects every part of our behavior. How we speak to one another, the tones we speak to one another. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. And this has an idea of continual action. It's not just at the start. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that we're being other person oriented when in reality we're not. I think that marriage has done that, showed me that more than anything else. How selfish I am. I first got married, I, I always thought, you know, well, Lori, you, you, need, to, you need to get the, the laundry done. That's, what, that's, your job. that's your job, isn't it? And I realized, who says it's in the job? I couldn't find it anywhere here in the scriptures. And I tried. It's, it's me and how selfish I am. And then when Jesse came along, I, I thought I had, I had become unselfish. But then I realized when our daughter Jesse was born, wow, there's a whole other layer of unselfishness that I needed to, to deal with. And after each, each kid... Man, oh man, I used to think, I don't want to do this diaper. Lori can, Lori can do that one, you know, later on. Man, I'm a selfish, selfish person. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. 
We might think love is to be so passionate that it's worth fighting for. However, the Bible says love is not touchy. I like what Eugene Peterson says in the message. I think it's a really good translation of this, or it gets, captures the idea. It says, love doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't fly off the handle. We often think love is, you know, I gotta, I gotta fight for this. I gotta be passionate about it. Mm. Love is keeping that in check. Then we find, and I don't know how you're feeling right now. Maybe you're feeling a little convicted. I, I know I was all week as I was reading these passages and studying it. It says, "Love keeps no record of wrongs." Verse, verse five at the end. We often think love can be measured by what is done for us. The Bible says love does not register the evil. If you want to be miserable, okay? Here's, here's how you want, to be, want to, if you want to be miserable today, okay? Just start writing down all the things that people have done to hurt you. I guarantee you, you'll be miserable. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not keep the books and count a person's bad points. I know sometimes in my mind I can vouch that as, I just need to be a discerning person. I need to be able to be a a good judge of character. Love overlooks that. Love leaves the bookkeeping to the accountants. Sorry, Ryan. Love overlooks that. We see that love does not delight in evil. A person who says, now some of you, I just got to say, you maybe are new to our church or maybe you're not a believer. uh, You're going to laugh when you hear this. But a lot of us Christians will say, I just love you in the Lord. I love that person in the Lord. But in reality, you can't really stand them. I love what uh, John Orberg says. He says this, one Sunday after church, I was accosted by a man who was greatly admired for his knowledge of the Bible. He more or less appointed himself the watchdog of the church's doctrinal purity. It was a matter of deep importance to him that people know how well he knew the scriptures. He loved to get into theological debates because they offered an opportunity to display his knowledge. This man began to recite to me a long litany of complaints. He said he had been praying about them to the Lord, who agreed with him on so very many things. The young people in the church were not as devoted as they should be. The leaders of adult classes were not sufficiently aligned with his favorite Bible teacher. He had seen little children, including mine, running irreverently in the sanctuary. And he wasn't too sure about my preaching either. Now remember, he said, as a final note, I don't like a lot of what you do, but I love you in the Lord. Anybody ever said something like that to you? I mean, that's crazy. I know you were just maybe new to church and you're like, that, that's whacked. That is not love. Sadly, church, we find that we don't do that. We, we often rejoice in evil. We rejoice over righteousness, unrighteousness. Love doesn't rejoice over unrighteousness. Some of those examples might be, maybe you're hoping that another person sins, and so they get caught. Or maybe you're thinking, 
you know, gossip's okay, and it's, it's okay to share this, this failure with another person. No, love protects, covers over. Uh, maybe some of you are um, entertaining by evil. You're delighting in evil by what you watch on TV or in the movies. When there's violence or, or sexuality that's, that's not honoring to God. or Maybe it's coarse language. Now, love doesn't delight in those things. It, it runs away from them. The other side, though, of we see in verse, uh, verse 6, it rejoices with the truth. That's what love does. Often the world would sacrifice truth on the scaffold of love. Say, you can't have both truth and love in the same, same area. No, we don't want to tell them the truth. The Bible is clear that truth and, and love are not opposites. Ephesians chapter 4 says, speak the truth in love to one another. And so, love and truth are not in conflict, but they must go hand in hand. And so love, in verse 6, is always protects. Love doesn't expose people's faults, but covers them like a roof. Love protects. Doesn't ever protect sin, but is anxious to protect the sinner, as one commentator says. Love does not expose people to unfavorable things. We're always trying to protect one another. And I've just been convicted. I want to make sure that people that don't do things like I do, or they're struggling, that I do everything in my power to make sure that they, they feel protected by me. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love believes in others' motivations are pure. It gives the benefit of the doubt without being gullible. Can you still do that? Or have you lived life too long to say, come on, John. The Bible says, love always trusts. Always believes. Love always hopes. Love hopes that the, those motivations are pure by that other person. Love always perseveres. When motivations prove to be impure, it bears no resentment. Even if, even if you've, you've tried to protect them and you've tried to believe in them, you've tried to hope in them and they still hurt you, you persevere with them. You come alongside. You remain with them. In fact, it was a, it was a military term, that word persevere. It's a military term used of an army's holding a vital position of, at all cost. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to hold that position with that person at all cost? Do you see how, really, if we look at all these, these, these descriptions of love, the sides of love, do you see how love can be defined incorrectly? When it's defined incorrectly, it can be very destructive. It can be used in terrible ways. We see lots of, we see lots of sin and evil in the world because people thought they were doing things based out of love. If I were measuring my profit margin in comparison to how the Bible describes love and how I live my own life, guess what? I'd have to declare bankruptcy. Did you feel convicted by these things? It's a guy by the name of A.J. Jacobs. And um, he's the author of The Year of Living Biblically. 
And in 2007, what he did was he decided, I'm going to try to live up to all 613 commandments found in the Old Testament. I'm going to write about it at the end of the year. And so he did things like uh, he didn't cut his hair. You can see at the top where his hair was nice, and then you can see kind of walking through the streets there. He didn't cut his hair at all. He painted lamb's blood on his apartment door. And um, at the end of that year, he's like, there were some really neat things I learned, but man, I couldn't keep up. I couldn't, I couldn't live up to that standard. You know why? You know why AJ couldn't do that? You know why we couldn't do it? Why this, this chapter can be so convicting? It's because love really is a demonstration of the gift of Christ. It's Christ living through us. The Corinthians were focused on spiritual gifts. They were focused on their service and their ministry. They had their VBS programs. They had their day camps. They were focused on these things and how they could be used in powerful ways. But as as we learn, you can have power without profit. You can have ministry without the majesty of God. You can have service without success. You can have energy without eternity in view. The Apostle Paul is going hard after it. He's saying, reality is, folks, love is the greatest gift. Verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest gift, the greatest of these is love. So, church, how do you measure your profit margin? Your spiritual profit margin? Well, simply this. Your spiritual profit margin is determined... By how much you persistently pursue a love for Christ. What A.J. Jacobs missed out on in trying to live out the word of God was God himself. I miss this out too. Maybe you do too. The Bible's not just a list of moral teachings, rules to follow for success. It's about God himself as demonstrated through the person of Jesus Christ. We know that if we love God, focusing on Him, His love will flow through us. 1 John 4, verse 7. We find where really love comes from. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, follow the way of love. If you could summarize it all, follow the way of love. Now that's different from the Beatles song, all you need is love, okay? I'm going to clarify that. You need way more than just love. You need Christ's love. You need Christ. God sent his son Jesus to come to earth to show us how to live and to show us how to love. But we need to remember that at first it didn't seem like Christ, price to earnings ratio really matched up. When Jesus, when Jesus paid that ultimate price, which cost him his life, the day after we didn't see much change. We didn't see the earnings skyrocket. Three days after he went public, rose from the grave. 
we were looking at it from our perspective, it looked like Jesus was still bankrupt. He had nothing. As Sam Drew aptly reminds us, the Roman and Jewish worlds went on running the day after Jesus' resurrection, just as they had the day before, with all the same slavery, injustice, poverty, hunger, oppression, and all the things that come with them. The resurrected Jesus didn't fix these problems or do anything about them. Jesus definitely showed his power in the resurrection, but for what? There isn't even record of him healing people or doing miracles to help people the way he did before he was crucified. Except for multiplying a few fish to have breakfast with his disciples. Why is that? The answer is simple. In God's economy and his plan and his redemptive plan, he chose to take the love of Christ and let it live through us. That's why that same disciple who Jesus came to after he arose from the grave, Peter, who had been very much scared and terrified of the authorities and what they were going to do to him and the rest of the disciples. He was locked away in a room. We find 40 days later, he's out preaching the gospel boldly in all of Jerusalem. He's sharing the love of Christ. That's why Thomas, who doubted that Jesus really could raise from the grave, and he wanted to see with his own eyes and his own hands and and touch Jesus and see if he was real. Why tradition says that he went off to India and was martyred for the cause of Christ. It's Jesus' love living through us. When I try to do this on my own strength, when I focus on on just trying to love you, I fail. And I think probably you do too. But when I let Jesus' love flow through me, when I let love compel me to share the truth of Christ, things change. And so I want to ask this question of you. Will you demonstrate the love of Christ this week Will each of you, when you're tempted to put yourself first, will you do what Paul says? Memorize this verse, verse 1 of chapter 14. Follow the way of love. When I'm tempted to to put myself first, I'm going to say, I'm going to follow the way of love. I'm going to let Jesus' love flow through me. I'm going to follow the way Jesus called me to follow him. To put others before himself. Will you be friends with those needing the love of Christ? And lastly, will you let them have your treasure box? Whatever's in it. Whatever you've been holding back. Will you demonstrate the greatest gift, which is the love of Christ? Let's pray. Father God, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ who demonstrated his love for us while we are still sinners that we would first of all focus on our love for you. And Lord, out of that, things change. We will be able to love like we should. We will be able to be patient and kind and not jealous, not boastful, not proud. Won't keep record of wrongs. We'll always protect 
We'll always trust. We'll always hope. Also, always persevere. Because you're doing it through us, Lord. Some of us in this room are at their wit's end. They need to know that your love actually works. I know it does. Help us to understand that. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. I believe if we focus on loving Christ, we'll be able to love others. I know that to be true. It's all for Jesus. I know that in this room, all of us are one decision away from moral failure, financial failure, emotional failure, emotional breakdown. What we need is the love of Christ to live through us. So as I read Paul's prayer for us, for the church, may you take this to heart. I pray that you may be rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, may we be so filled with that deep, amazing love of Christ. Fullness of God, as it says. It's amazing so we can love others. Lord, may that start even as we, we leave this building and maybe we see someone we don't know and we pray for them, we stop and pray for them. Maybe as we, we talk to our neighbors this afternoon. Maybe as we, we eat downstairs for spaghetti dinner, Lord, and we thank you for that food. But we, we pray that we would do so in love. Lord, everything we do must be done out of love. Follow the way of love, your word says. Help us to do that through your spirit. Jesus' name.